Kum Lenin Ablat Gemara, Mitsai Shabashuva, Topshin Pei Bays. We are up to Daf Yud Aleph Ahmed Aleph on the very top. And we were just, this entire Perik, the Sechta Beya is all about Yamtif, and it's actually a, quite a difficult Mesechta. And the first Perik of Mesechta Beya deals basically with a number of arguments between uh, Shammai and, and Hillel, or Be Shammai and Be Hillel. So the last thing we learned about was how you have to prepare the birds that you want to use for Yom Tif. And the question is, if you prepared some and others appeared, can we assume it's the same ones or different ones? And then we had one case that you prepared one inside the nest over there in the chicken coop. And uh, but then you found it outside of the chicken coop, not inside the chicken coop. We say that it's also because we're going to assume that the birds that were in the chicken coop flew away. And these are birds from abroad that came by. Now, we already raised before a Gemara and Baba Basir where Rabbi Hanina discusses, we generally follow the rules of probability, which is right. But if you have two conflicting rules, one is the rule of proximity, which is called Karev, and one is the rule of probability, which is right, which, which is overrides the other. And he says it's right. And the Gemara has a discussion over there. So why don't we use this uh, din right here? Because we said the, the, the birds, even though it's in front of the nest, obviously it's in close proximity to the nest, but we're going to assume it came from the majority of birds out there in the wild. So we see that Rave overrides, says the Gemara. The Teicha, you, you designated those inside the, the nest, can you found them in front of the nest? As soon as forbidden. Why isn't this a support, a corroborating proof? Because the Amr Abchin said, the if you have the rule of probability and the rule of proximity, that rave is more powerful. Same thing here. Amar Abayi says, we don't bring a proof from here. You know why? Because we can learn, we're talking about daf. You know, just like you see on the telephone wires, birds sit there and they just, you know, sit there and they rest. Same thing over here, there was a board, a plank, right in front of the nest. And the numerous birds from abroad that are sitting on the plank. So therefore, it's not just a question of probability. The proximity of the of the birds from the wild are just as strong as the proximity of the nest itself. And therefore, we'll follow the raven in this case. So there's no proof from here. Rava says we're talking about an interesting case. We're talking about two nests. So these two holes, one above the other, skinin. The lame boy. And what happened was you set aside, designated one of them. And then when you came back, there were birds in the other one. There's no longer any birds. And the one that you designated is no longer there. And they're standing outside in front of the one of the other one. Do we assume that your birds are gone and these are the other ones and you didn't, didn't designate them? Or do we say the other ones have gone and these are your birds that are there now? So that's what the mission is talking about. So And remember, we're talking about small birds that can't really fly. So Leiva, you have you can't you don't have to say zimin betachtoina if you organize for the bottom nest for lay zimin belyena and you didn't organize a top one. Umatza betachtoina belematza belyena and you didn't find any birds in the bottom one, but you only um sorry um umatza betachtoina you found them on the bottom one. You found the birds on the bottom one, but you didn't find them at all. And the top one, so you found them on the bottom one in front of the nest, and you found nothing in your in the top one that you originally designated. So therefore, the Asidin will say definitely that these birds are not the birds that you designated. I mean, we'll say we're going to say that the birds on the bottom that you designated are gone. They're not inside the nest anymore. These are the birds from above 
that just, you know, jumped down. The Nachas, and they went down, and there they are. So in other words, we have no proof that these are the original birds because they're no longer inside the, the, the cavity there. They're outside, in front of the nest. Even if you designated the top one. You didn't designate the bottom one. And now you came, you found the birds on top, in front of the nest. Now, generally, these birds don't really fly this small. So there's a, we have an inkling here that the birds in front of the nest are probably from the nest itself because the birds below can't really fly up you know, he didn't find any birds below. We still can say you cannot assume automatically that the birds on top and from the nest are the birds from inside the nest. Because it's quite likely, or it's just as possible, that I mean, we say the original birds that you designate on top are gone. They just walked up slowly and, and there they are. And they went on top. So in other words, there's no rave and curve here. They're both curves. There's no rave here. There's one at the bottom, one at the top. There's no rave here. We're not talking about birds from the wild. We're talking about two nests, one on top of the other. And one of them is gone now, and the other one is not inside the nest anymore. It's in front. And the question is, which one it is? We don't know. And we're going to be machmer, and we are going to ask it. Says the Mishnah further, But if these are the only ones that are there, these are the only ones. Um, yesterday when you were there, there only two birds and that's it only these then they're permitted why because that and then you come the next day on yom you say you know all you see is two birds there then you assume that these are the same two birds that you originally designated there were no birds yesterday nor the birds here today so the obvious question is hey Chidami, what are we talking about why are you so convinced that definitely these are the two original birds because they're not inside the nest remember the inside the nest doesn't talk about the inside the cavity doesn't talk about we're talking about they're in front older birds that can fly around, then how do you know the originals? It's just as possible to say, the original ones that you designated are gone. They flew away. These are other birds. We're talking about small little birds that can't really fly far. They just, you know, they walk. So if there's another nest within 50 amma, we say that birds that can only walk can't really fly. They can travel up to 50 ammas. And if you remember the Gemara Basi, you learn, Rabbi Yimir asked the famous question, so what happens if one leg is within the 50 Amis and the other leg is outside the 50 Amis? Is that considered a neighbor, you know, you know within the distance, is that considered proximity or not? And that's when they threw him out of Yeshiva. You know, they, remember, he's the one who always asked these kind of questions. But Sorry? Why did that check him out? It's a Gemara. Some people ask questions and nitpick so much that the teachers just couldn't tolerate it anymore. You mean like me? Yeah, I didn't say that. Something like that. <laughs> but they, they eventually let it back in. They let him back in. Um, you'll see throughout Shas, he always asks these kind of interesting questions. You know, he's very pedantic and very particular. He, really, he nitpicks. That's what he is. He's a nitpicker. We used to call the, the clutch no, there's more than a class cash. It's a nitpicker. It means whatever you say, he 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 always finds something to ask. Like a nitpicker. I'm sure you met these kind of kids or students somewhere. Um, since if it's tomorrow, ask a question. If 
there's another nest within 50 amas, then they're both proximity. How do you know these are the original birds? Maybe these are the other birds that just you know, marched over. And there's no other birds around. There's no other nest around. You need the mission to tell me that this must be these two birds, the same ones. They have nowhere to go. They're small little birds, and they're still there. There's no, no other birds there present yesterday, no other birds present today, even though they're not inside the nest. They're outside. Surely that's where they come from. Surely it's obvious that they're permitted. That any bird that walks around, they don't walk more than 50 amas. That's the distance that they travel. So what's the Chiddush in our Mishnah? What exactly is the scenario here? Says the Gemara, I will tell you the Ika came with Techa Mishimama. We're talking about there's a nest within 50 Amma. No, so how do we know the birds that you found there in front of the nest are from the nest itself? Maybe they're from the other nest that's within 50 Amma. They're both considered in close proximity. We're talking about a case, the mission is talking about a case going to Kaima. We are talking about Beketan Zavis. That there's a corner of the house that's protruding, and therefore that other nest that's within 50 Amas cannot really see this nest because the house is budding out and it's blocking the view. And little birds, even though they might walk away from the nest up to 50 amas, always want to see, want to see the original nest. They want to have a line of sight. And if there's no line of sight, they're too um, they're not secure enough to go over there. They don't know what's over there. I would have thought, that's a Kiddush mission. I would have thought, well, there's two nests close proximity. Perhaps it's from the other nest, 50 amas away, or 49 amas away. You didn't designate it. Don't use it. Whenever they walk, if they can see their original nest, they will walk. If, there's a, if it's within line of sight. But if it's not within line of sight, they won't walk, and therefore you can rest assured that these birds that you're seeing here are the same birds that you designated yesterday. Continuing on with the Mishnah. In the laws of Muktzah, we have different grades of Muktzah. And one of the most the common one is it's called a Kli Shemalachtoi a tool which primarily is used for, for a malacha which is prohibited on Shabbos. For example, the typical example is a hammer. A hammer is meant to use to knock your nails to build. You cannot build in Shabbos. So that hammer is mukt. And it's known as a kli. It's a utensil or a tool. A tool has two exceptions when you're allowed to move them on Shabbos. And once you can move them, you can put them wherever you want. One is called the tzayda gufai. And one is the tzayda mekaymai. The tzayda mekaymai means it's sitting on the table. You can't put any food there. So you're allowed to pick it up, remove it, because you need that space. And you can put it, once you have it in your hand, you can place it wherever you want. The tzaydech gufay means you want to use the hammer itself, but for a permitted use. For example, the Gemara talks about a, a paperweight. But the wind is blowing, you put it on the napkins, on the serviettes, you don't want it to blow away. So those are the two exceptions that you're allowed to. But if it's not a klisha melachti, so like rocks and dirt, then it's mukta machmas atzma, it itself is mukta, not a kv, then even if you need the space, you cannot move it. Even if you need it to, in a permitted use, you cannot move it. Then you have a muktzah machmas sarin kis, something which is very expensive, like the, the knife of a, of a diamond cutter, which is very, very expensive knife and specialized tool. That, even those tanoim who don't agree with the laws of muktzah can see that a muktzah machmas um, kis, something that you're going to completely remove from your mind, you have no interest at all using it on Shabbos, and that's awesome. And you have many other kinds of muktzahs, and so on. So we're going to talk about a, an, an Eli, is a tool that uh, 
uh, what do you call it? It's a tool that they use to, um, it, it's, it's a very, very heavy piece of wood and it's used basically to, uh, to crush. And, um, and, but now you want to use it as a flat board to cut meat on it. So you want to use it for permitted use. So Bishama says, you cannot take this and use it for permitted use. Why not? So Rashi holds that Bishama holds, even though it's a Klisha Malachta Iser, and the general rule is that you're allowed to, uh, we hold that a Klisha Malachta Iser, if you want to use it for permitted use, that's all right. Bishama doesn't agree with that principle. He holds if it's a if it's a Kalisha Malach Kalisa, it is Mukta, and under and no circumstance can he use it. That's how um yeah, what, uh, what that's worse. That's Mutza Machmas Isa. That is the reason why it's Mukta is because right now you're not allowed to move the candle while it's burning because you might extinguish it. And that's different. That's stricter. Even after the fire burns out, you cannot move it, even though you need the space. Doesn't you can't do that? That's why they used to have a Shabbos going to move the candles from the table. It didn't help that you need a space on the table. You want to change the tablecloth because it's a much stricter kind of muktzah. And that well, is, yeah. put it on a, a tray with a challah or something. Doesn't help because the tray is a designated tray for the leichter. So it doesn't help putting a challah. For your tablecloth, it helped putting a challah there because the tablecloth is to put things on there and you can put there something else besides, no, the only tablecloth besides the candles a mukta, you have a challah on there, or a wine, or something that a mitzvah, it, it becomes a buses for mutter and us, but not when it comes to a tray for a candle. Because the trays, unless you have a big plate and you just put the candle on a plate, so the plate is not specifically made for the candle, then you can argue that you put a challah there. Because remember, we don't look at the silver leichter for value, we look at the, can, at the fire itself. And fire doesn't have much value, so as long as you have something else there that you need for Shabbos, like challah or something, you could. But who does that? Tracer disagrees with Rashi. So it depends on the buses, if it's generally used for candles or just used for other stuff as well. Exactly. So that's a difference in a tablecloth, let's say, versus a candle tray. When you buy a candelabra and you buy a, your, 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 your Shabbos lichter, you buy um, your leichter, you buy a tray, usually the tray suits the leichter. That's what it's there for. Okay, um, Tayson disagree. Tayson holds that even Shammai would agree that a Klisha Malach if you want to use a permitted use, you can. Here it's Muktzim Machmas Ksarin Kis. It seems that this is a very expensive item and therefore it's totally Muktzim. Anyway, Beshamay disallows it and Beshilil Matir. Beshilil says that using it for permitted use, no problem. The next part that we already had before is what Beshamay says, ain't noisin esa oil. If you shecht an animal on Yamtiv and now you're stripping the hide, and the hide, you usually put it on the gear to trample on it. If you want to tan the hide, you want to use the hide, you have to trample on it and thin it out. So, ain't noisin esa oil, lifnea doisin. Beshamay says, you, can, uh, you cannot place it on the ground so people should trample on it and you know, start the trampling process. Nor Veloyak Bienu. Don't lift it up and you want to hang it on a peg or something else so that it should start earing out. You can't do that either. If there's meat attached to the hide, then you can, because we're going to say that the hide is secondary to the meat. Basil says you can't do either one. You can use it to trample. Why? Because Basil is very concerned about Simchas Yamtub, as we learned, discussed before. Basil, we said maybe it's because Simchas Yamtub. But Basil is very concerned about Simchas Yantav. If we're not going to allow, we're going to cause him a loss on his hide. He's then not going to, um, what do you call it, shecht an animal. 
We gave another reason possibly is because people used to put a hide on the ground and they used to you know, sit on it or put food on it so it can be used as a tablecloth. That's why you're allowed to put it on the ground and let people walk on it. Tana, we learned the shoving, but they all agree. Shame cuts of Alabasa. Once you're ready, let's say cut on this board, now it's over. Shahasal the talpla, then you're not allowed to move anymore. Even according to Hillel, you no longer any use for Yamtip, so you're not allowed to move it anymore. Regarding this particular mortar. But let's say you have a, a, a board which called the, the bone breaker. They used to uh, use it to, um, you know, used to break the bones on top of this of this board. Then because it's really it's it's something which the way Rashi learns is some other differently. It's a malachta There's nothing what you're doing now. There's nothing wrong with you. You're allowed to cut meat. You're allowed to cut bones and yamtiv. So therefore, if it's malachta lehetah, surely you're allowed to use it. Says the Gemara. Pshita, what's what's the chiddush? Why not? It says clearly in the mission, the only thing you're not allowed to use is an Ali, but you're allowed to use a board that's if you can break bones and so on. No, Mad, I would have thought, who I didn't feel that I would have thought that even this board that you break the bones on, you shouldn't use on Yom Tov either, to teach you, to show you how far Basil goes. That board which breaks bones, there's nothing east of it. But even if you have this, this board that you use it to, uh, to, uh, what do you call to, uh, to crush things, which you're not allowed to do. Uh, it's, you know, to crush wheat. To, it's to crush wheat in half or in three parts, which you're not allowed to do on, on Yom and Shabbos. So even something is also permitted. Maybe the purpose of the mission is to tell you how far Hillel is, is, is permitting. We're not out to tell you how far Shammai is prohibiting. Kamash will tell you, no, that in this case, even Shammai would agree it's all right, because it's not a Malach to Le'iser, it's a Malach to Le'het. It's for both, Yom Tov too. We're talking about Yom right now. There's no problem at all Yom because it's a it's a malach to lehet. Well, it's it's a cutting board, a cutting board to, but it's a strong one. You can break bones on it, and uh, you're allowed to go ahead and cut meat on the Yom No problem. In other forms of mukta, not shemalach uh, to for example, like Mahmat uh, Gufo, uh, for example, a rock. You use it for a permitted thing, like for example, if you have a rock that's sitting in your garden, and um, on Yontif you want to hold the gate open with a rock, can you move? Then that's a uh, no. You can't. You can't do that unless you designated before Yontif. That's what they say in Bnei Brak when they should throw the stones on the cars. They had a pile before Yontif or Shabbos to make sure it's not mukta. So um, the um, the only way you can use a rock, you have to designate it before Shabbos and Yontif that this is going to be your doorstopper. Let's say. You know, so then you're allowed to, otherwise then you can't. Now, what's the Chiddush? If it's just a cutting board, what's the big deal? The Chiddush according to Shammai, that Shammai, you might say that this cutting board, because we just said a minute ago, once you use it for whatever purpose you use it, you're not allowed to use it for other, you're not allowed to just move it around because it's a tircha that's unnecessary. So we're scared that what happens, Shammai will say, what happens, you, you bring this board over here and then you change your mind, you're not going to use it. So you just did a tircha, a bother for no purpose. And Shammai is worried, we'll soon see the Gemara about changing your mind. The Chiddush is, we're not worried. Ikidam is another version of the same thing, but instead of somebody asking a question on the Bayi, it was a Bayi who it was a rhetorical question, and he answered himself. Even a brand new board over here, you're allowed to use. And he adds the word brand new. And what's the Chiddush? Maud, I would have thought, Mamlich, well, I would have thought that according to Shammai, it's a brand new board, you didn't use it. Maybe you, you bring it there, it's a Tircha, and then you'll change your mind. Kamash, no, we're not worried you will change your mind. 
says the Gemara, if that's what the Chiddush is, it does worry occasionally that you might change your mind. So why are you permitted to use this cutting board? If you never used it before and you're bringing it over, and there's a bother involved there, but how do you know you won't change his mind? Where do you see that Shammai holds, Beishamai holds, you can change your mind? Says the Gemara, Beishamai, Lechai, you don't worry about changing your mind, but how do you do not bring tabach v'sak in eitzel behemah. You don't bring all the tools on the butcher to, to the animal. V'lei behemah eitzel, it's a far away. Or bring it to the to the butcher. Why not? Because we're scared. You can bring it all the way there. So it's a big tircha. And then you go change your mind. You decide, you know what? I'm not going to go ahead with the animal. Or um, Basil says, no problem. Malichin says, eitzel says, you'll have to bring it, no problem. We're not concerned. We're not worried you're going to change your mind. If you're already going, you're probably going to proceed with it. So we see Bishama is concerned till the very last minute you might change your mind. And he proscribes it on Yamtan. So why does he allow you to use that brand new cutting board? You don't bring the spices and everything else to the way the pest, the modern pestle is, or the vice versa, because you might change your mind. And Basil says, you can't bring it to each other. So we see Shama is always worried it'll change your mind. So why are you allowed to bring the cutting board? So you want a hockey hashto. What are you comparing? When it comes to an animal, you shouldn't bring it of cross. You might change your mind because you have good reason to change your mind. You're right. I do want to shecht an animal, but I have good reason. You know why? The You might say, This animal looks a bit lean. I remember now I have a better animal that has more substance, more flesh. I still want to proceed with the shechita, but I'll bring another animal which is better. Or or let's say when it comes to the food, you want to bring these spices over or you want to bring the pestle mortar to the spices, you might change your mind and say, look, I'm not in the mood of spices now. You know I'm going to change the menu. I know I'm having a guest that hates, that hates hot chilies. So forget that. I'm not going to... Uh, to use this particular food that requires these spices. I'll bring another food. It doesn't require spices. That's just, for example, cabbage or turnip. They don't require all kinds of uh, seasoning. Just a little bit of salt and that's it. So there's a good, in other words, you're not changing your mind dramatically. You're still going to go ahead. You're going to cook something, but you know what? I'm going to change the menu. Over here, you're taking the animal uh, over here in the case of the cutting board. You need to cut the animal. You shecht an animal, you need to cut the animal. What are we scared of? What are you going to change your mind? You can change his mind, not break it. Once you shecht an animal, you need to break down the meat. That's what you're meant to do with the animal. What's he, there's no uh, prospect that he's going to change his mind. Anyway, Bishama says, Ain't hey, no, you don't give the they don't give the hide, you don't give the hide and place it in front of the people who trample on it. Says the Gemara Vitana, we learned the shoving, but we did learn that part of the process of tanning is you know you put salt. That's why on Shabbos you have all of these tools. You're not allowed to put, you know, you're not allowed to put salt on cucumbers, for example, a long time before your meal because it starts then salt, it starts uh, what do you call it? Um, you see it starts bubbling away and it starts marinating. And you're not allowed to marinate in Shabbos, which comes from this malachi. It's called ibud. You're not allowed to tan because when you put the salt, you put a lot of salt on the hide, it starts going through, it starts uh, taking out all the dirt and starts softening up the hide. But they all agree, shemolchin ala basal You're allowed to put a little bit of salt like you would put for a roast. When you roast meat, you don't have to salt. Even though the dinners, you have to salt the uh, meat within three days. But if you uh, roast it, you don't have to salt at all because the roasting the, the, on the fire sucks out all the blood. But you still put a modicum of salt for taste. If you put that kind of salt on the hide, it doesn't bother us because it's not enough really to begin its function. 
on the high. Talking about only put a modicum salt, which you normally use when you grill something. When you cook something, they used to put a lot more salt in, like then that's forbidden because you put it on the high, you're already starting your tanning process. Says the Gemara Pshitta, what are you trying to tell us? Let's sleep now. It says clearly you're allowed to put salt that you normally use for a roast. How commercial, the Bible wants to say that data, that even if you're putting it for a roast, but you put a bit more than what you normally put for a roast, you're putting in the roast, let's say what you would put for cooking, also it is forbidden. So uh, in other words, so more than you normally put for, for, for roasting, but it's more similar cooking that's forbidden as well. <clears throat> Does that relate to laying down a skin on the ground? Yeah, we're talking about it. They used to put the trampling as part of the process. They trample it, salting. It's all part of the tanning process. That's so it's the same idea. So we're saying you're putting a little bit of salt. Doesn't, it's not a problem. It's only a lot of salt. Because you would think we shouldn't allow any salt on it. So we're telling you we're not going to be goyzer. You can put a little bit of salt like you normally put for a roast, but not more. Then we continue... Talk about me learned. A mochin as a chalabim, you're not allowed to salt the, the fats. You know, remember, fats, if it, you know, you don't have fridges in those days, how do they preserve all the meat and everything else? They would salt it heavily, and that's how they preserved it. But so if you want to put salt on the fat so that it shouldn't go foul, and even though you shecht on yamt, you're allowed to, you're not allowed to put salt because you're preserving it for after yamt. And obviously, you're not allowed to do that. Plus, you're preserving, which is not from the thing you're allowed to do. So a molchin is a chalav, and you're not allowed to salt the fats. The ain mahapchin behen, nor can you turn them over, and in order that it should air out, because again, it's part of the process of preserving. You says you're allowed to actually place them on pegs, and the air will air it out. He says you're allowed to. Amar Masna says Masna, because you're not doing anything; you just put it on pegs, and the air is doing whatever it has to do. Uh, you can do that. Says the Gemara. You can Others say Amra Masna ain't halacha kirabishu. Halacha is not like Rabishu. Says the Gemara. I don't understand. Bishloy the man of The one who tells me halacha is like Rabishu. It's the I need you to say that. Sal kedat. I mean, I would have thought it's the rabbis versus Rabishu. We have a general rule. Yachid verabim halacha kirabim. Whenever there's a majority, there's a number of people arguing with a single person. We always follow the rabbi. The kamashlo of Yachid. And yet you want to tell us that Allah is like a Yeshua? I understand. <laughs> but the one who says that Allah is not like Rabbi Yeshua, obviously Allah is not like him. Because we have the rule, Yachid Rabbi, Allah is Rabbi. So what are you, tell, what are you telling us? Says, I would have thought that even though Rabbi Yeshua is a lone opinion, Rabbi Yeshua's reason makes sense. Because the Eloi Shadisle, why does his reason make sense? Because the Eloi Shadisle, because if you're not going to allow him to somehow or another save his fats, he won't shecht his animals because he'll cause he'll incur a big loss. So he won't have meat on yamtiv, and we are going to prevent him enjoying the yamtiv. We're scared that this is going to prevent him from shechting, and he won't he'll lack a single yamtiv. That's why he comes to tell you that even though it makes sense what Rabbi Shua says, we are not going to allow you to do that. Says the Gemara, so I don't understand. You're not going to allow him to air out the fats. And yet, and why do we allow him then to place this, the hide on the ground? Because we don't want him to incur a loss. Because if he incurs a loss, he won't check next time. So what's the difference? The fats or the hide? Fats, we don't allow him to do anything to save it. And yet the hide, we do. So you want very simply. 
There's a problem of marisain. Hustle when it comes to the hide, lamucha mils is not that obvious that he's trying to save the hide. What do you do? You put it on the ground, people walking over it. People use it as a tabletop. They sit on it and they put the food there. So therefore, it doesn't look like you're tanning. Here, people are going to say, what's going on here? My people, and what's the problem? My time is shortly Rabbanon. The Rabbanon allowed them to place the fats on pegs, right? In order to preserve the fats and they, they shouldn't get, they shouldn't go foul. So the people then, the average person says, so what's, there's different ways of, of preserving the fats. One is to put it on pegs so that the ear, it airs out. The other one is to salt it. And they'll say, well, if you're allowed to preserve the fats, what's the difference if you just spread it on the ground? Why can't I just salt it? Therefore, mistakes can arise from that. And that's why we don't allow you to preserve the fats. But when it comes to the hide, we're not worried. Because people will rather assume this, what he's doing is he's just having a table. In those, in those days, anyone was allowed to chef also. Anyone? No, we're going to learn a chulin that uh, the mission starts of hakel shaychtin, but we'll see in the memory of the Gemara chulin that you, you have to be a mumcha, you know, um, all kinds of rules. Yeah, but in these, in these services, we're only talking, we're talking about uh, home, um, we're talking about a batim who, who could. Yeah, but we learned before chicken. that you're allowed to bring it to a tabach, you bring it to a shaychit, to a butcher, so either. No, you have a neighbor. Who about, for example, with chickens, they're talking about them, the people doing their own shechet. No, they have to. No, they wouldn't do the pshat. They, there were people who knew a lot of people who knew how to shecht, but they would bring it to them. But that, not that. Maybe they themselves know how to shecht as well. Or they went to the to the local shechet. I'm going to teach you a trick. He says, "Meleach adam kamal chatiches basar bebasaches an yamtiv." If you only need one piece, you're allowed to go ahead. And salt as, as as many pieces as you want. We'll, we'll allow you to salt because you need it for yamtiv. As many as you want, even though you don't need more than one. And the same thing by cooking on yamtiv. We allow you to cook a lot more than what you need for the meal. Once you let it cook, you can add whatever you want. All you need is one piece. Marim used to trick. He would salt one piece at a time. He salted a piece of meat, then he said, ah, I don't like this piece. Let me try another one. And he continued doing this all the time. If everybody can do this, or only uh, who knows what they're doing. And, um, and, and, and Tracer says over here that people used to use this trick to shecht more than one chicken. So they would shecht one chicken and then eat a sliver of the liver of the chicken. And say, ah, I don't like it. I'll shut another chicken. So even though you don't need more than one chicken for the meal, there's a way of getting around it. And uh, But you should do that before you eat the meal so it still sounds reasonable. After you eat the meal, then it looks very clear that you're just preparing for after yom tov. Why don't they rely, why don't they rely on shul? Just to say, well, maybe guess what? Come, I'll, I'll, I'll shut the whole, I'll, a few, a few chuk, so then... You mean Rabba? Rabba Rabchiz that we had him that you say, Ahoyel v'ikla imikla orchid. That's yeah. That's regarding cooking and everything else. Yeah, but I mean, Shmuel, Shmuel just said here, yeah. yeah. So There's no trick. Shmuel is saying once we allow you to do, um, since it's one, no, but you can. If you have one piece of meat there, you have ten pieces of meat right next. To you. He's not saying one after another. That he doesn't allow. He's saying achas. So you have ten pieces of meat lying on the table together, and the same. You know, it's basically the same bother to whether you sold one meat or ten meats. So you might as well do ten. But uh, Rav was saying something else. You can do one at a time. One at a time. And each time you do one, they say, ah, I don't like this meat. I'll take another one. 
and so on and so forth. And that's how you can go through all them, which is a bigger chiddush. Mishnah. Bishamai, I mean, Bishamai says, we already had it before as well, Ein Mesalkin Esatresin Meyamtuf. Bishamai says, if you have these, they used to have these cabinets and they used to have these doors. And all the stores, it's clear from here, they used to have the stores that sell food open on Yamtuf, which is pretty interesting. People would go in, you're not allowed to talk price, and people would go in and they would um, buy whatever merchandise they needed for Yamtuf and not talk about price. And after Yamtuf, they would organize the price. It's like going now to a restaurant on Shabbos or Yamtuf and whatever it is, but you don't talk price. And after Yamtuf, or prior, you know, you paid for it, but even after Yamtuf, you go in and you pay. You took some more drinks than you ever asked after Yamtuf. And during Yamtuf, you don't talk about price. And we'll call this, as we'll, we, we, we said in the Gemara before, this is called Simchas Yamtuf. We're going to allow, we allow this so people should be able, otherwise they won't open the stores. Because they didn't have refrigerators in those days. They couldn't buy a week's supply to last. So they had to basically buy every day fresh. And, um, and that's why they allowed the stores to be open. And it was necessary. So Bishamay says, so they used to have these cabinets and they used to store all the things there. And then they would, it was like an airport. You see, they have some of these things that they have all their food inside these boxes or these cabinets. And then they would open up, they would take off the doors and the doors become the table, the trestle table that holds everything up. And they would put all the spices there and everything else display. So Bishamay says, a misalkin is a tracing by Yom Tov. Now that I remove these doors on Yom Tov, as we'll see tomorrow later, why not? And Basil says, Matidin, not only can you remove these doors, but also Lahaksa, you can return them as well. Says, first of all, my trace, what is this trace? What are these doors? Amr Rosul says, Trace Chanuyas. These are the doors of these uh, stores I just told you before, these cabinets, and they would sit there in the street and then they're portable. And the idea is very important that they're portable, as we're going to see that there's no building, there's no construction and destruction when it comes to portable items. Vamarula Ula said, Shloishad Vodim, that three things, the Hatiru Saifa, we allowed them uh, to do things which are not necessary for Yamtif. For example, here, Basil says you can return that door to the cabinet. Returning the door to the cabinet does not benefit Yamtif, but we can allow him because otherwise they won't set up in the first instance, and we want these stores open on Yamtif. So therefore, is it three things we matter safe in the end, even though it doesn't benefit Yamtif, because the beginning, which does benefit Yamtif. And if we don't allow them to, to put the doors back, they won't open the doors in the first place. These are the examples. He gives three examples. Number one is, why do we allow you to place the hide on the ground before the people are trampling it? Because otherwise, you're not going to shake the animal. Even though there's no benefit to Yamtif from people trampling it, but otherwise, if we don't allow you, you are not going to shake the animal because you don't want to incur a loss. But today, say Chanuyas, we allow you to place these doors, replace these doors, and put them the, the back, because otherwise you won't open the store in the first place. And the Chazoras Retia Bemigdish, we had this in the end of the Irvin, where, and we also had them set for Shabbos, that you're not allowed to um, put on a gauze with a cream and on, on Shabbos because you're smoothing out. And and also, it looks like medicine. But in the base of Migdash, we have an issue. The Koinim, are not allowed to work with these band-aids on their hand because it's, it, it's an interception. It's a chatzitza between their hand and the avoider. And when we had the whole story in the Gemara about the coin who put gloves on. So um, you're not allowed to have a chatzitza. But when it came to a band-aid, even though generally speaking, you're not allowed to put a band-aid on on Shabbos, we allowed them to remove the band-aid and put it on. If they don't, they won't work in the base of Mignish. And we need all the coin serving in the base of Mignish. So we allowed chazor and the tiyad 
and you'll have to put it back on. <clears throat> so the Gemara, the Chava said in the name of Rabbi Yehuda, now Rashi has an interesting discussion here. The general rule is whenever it says Rebbe, that's Israel. Whenever it says Rav, it's Babel. If you ever want to know this Amaira, where did they live? All the Tanaim lived in Israel. But this Amaira, where did he live? You look at the title. If it says Rebbe, it's Israel. And if it says Rav, it is Babel. So now it says a Rebbe Yehuda. So who is this Rebbe Yehuda? Because Rechava was an Amaira. So who is this Rebbe Yehuda? This Rebbe Yehuda, says Rashi says, there's a discussion. Whether, now Rechava lived in Babel. So it makes sense that his teacher was Rav Yehuda. The, Rav Yehuda. the famous Rav Yehuda was a student of Rav and then became a student of Shmuel. But it says a Rebbe Yehuda. So some want to say that maybe he heard it from Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya, who was the great the grandson of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, of the, of the Rebbe who wrote the Mishnais. Rashi says he doesn't believe it for a minute. In other words, and 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 what he called and Rechava didn't know whether it's Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Yehuda. Rashi didn't believe it for a minute because Rechava never went to Israel. He would never have heard it from Rabbi Yehuda. So therefore, and also we know that Rechava was very particular in all the names that he said. And uh, and definitely the Gemara would have included this that he was you no know, doubting whether it was Rebbe Yehuda or Rabbi Yehuda. So Rashi concludes that even though every rabbi in Babel is called Rab, not Rebbe, but because Rechava had one primary source for all of his learning, which was Rabbi Yehuda, he decided to call him Rebbe, and because he was his favorite. When you have one, even though you have, have many teachers, but you have one like a rabbi Muvik, a favorite. He called him Rebbe, even though he was in bubble. Okay, what did Rabbi Yehuda say? We're talking about a case over here is an Amaoris, generally, we'll see that an Amaoris generally is considered uh, someone who's Tamil. You assume they're always Tamil. And if they come in contact with food, if you're a Tamil that tries to eat everything in a Tahirdik way, you can no longer eat from it. But when it came to Yamtiv, we suspended that Khumra that Amaratsim are automatically tummy, because we didn't want to shame them in public and say, oh, if an Amaras touches this, nobody can eat it in your shlime, and the entire Klai Yisro was there. So we suspended that law. What happens if, the, if a Tamil was a seller of wine and he wants to sell his wine or loaves of bread to people, you know, all these tourists who are coming or travelers are coming, guests into the shalim for, for a Yamtiv? And everyone touches it to taste the wine, to look at the wine, touches the bread. And if, uh, and Amaritz, we suspended the rules on Amaritz. The question is, what happened? You open a barrel, you sold three quarters of it on, on Chalamoid. And now, and the Yamtiv, now it's after Yamtiv. What happens now? So the rules go back that Amaritz is tummy. But the Amaritz touched it during Yamtiv. So what happens now? Do we say, well, that the laws are sus of suspended of suspension are gone, and therefore now that we know Namar is touching Chalamoid, which we surely did, therefore it becomes Tami again, or not? So we said that if somebody opened a barrel or Maschil Sasa, or he opened up dough and he made challah, Al Gavaregel, even though some of it was left over after Yamtif, we are not the Alibara Yehuda, the Amar who says, Yigmar. We allow you to continue to sell the wine as if it's tar, because otherwise nobody will open barrels because it's a risk. I'll open a barrel. Maybe I only sell half the barrel on Yom Tov, and then after Yom Tov, it's tummy. I won't be able to sell to half the population. So therefore, to alleviate that risk, Rabbi Yehuda says that we are going to, uh, this, any barrels you open on Yom Tov, you can continue selling after Yom Tov as if it's tar.
unless an Amaris touches it after Yom Tov. And another, uh, now the Gemara goes through each one. Oh, what you, what's, what's Ula telling us? says clearly the Mishnah, that you're allowed to place in front of it. Why do you need Ula to tell me? Nay, without Ula, I could have learned Pshat and the Mishnah differently. I would have thought, you know why you're allowed to put the, the, the oil on the ground? I can use as a table. That's why. And even Erev Yamtif. And the, and the, the rule there would be that even if you shechted Erev Yamtif, so you could have done whatever you want before Yamtif, I can still put the high Yamtif on the ground because I, it's a table. Kamash one, no, no, no. The only reason why we allow you to put the hide in the ground that people trample over it is because otherwise you're not going to shech the yomtif. But if you shech it every yomtif, then you have no right to place it on the ground because there's no special dispensation. That's number one, Ulus Chiddush. Number two, the yomtif in the yomtif only because the yomtif never for yomtif. Case number two, you're telling me that you're putting the doors back to Nina. It says clearly in the Mishnah, you're allowed to put it back. So that people, the, the store, the merchant should be interested in opening up, selling it, because they know they can put it back and, and get for safekeeping. So you says clearly, to put it back. So again, no. Without Ula, I could have learned the mission differently. I could have said, like we had before the month, the Tamayu, the Basil, Mishum, the B ain't binion, the Kaylin, the ain't still, the Kaylin. There's no build, there's no construction, there's no destruction when it comes to portable vessels. Therefore, I would have said that I feel about the even in your own house, your own cabinets. There's no special reason to make to allow you. You let to take off, you let to put back on, no problem. Kamash one, but no. The only reason why we allow merchants to put it back on is he because otherwise the Chanuyasin, only merchants we allow them because otherwise they won't open up, they won't sell anything. But the bottom line, not houses. Big Machlek is Rashi places about there's no building by Kalim. According to Rashi, there's no laws of building at all by Kalim. Only if you finish a job, there might be Makabah Patish or other Malachas that uh, smoothing out, but no building. Taisa says, but if you taste the hold, if you take a, if you, that's only talking about if you repair something, putting things together. But if you build something from scratch, even if it's a Kalim, it's called building on Shabbos or on Yom Tov. Third case, Chazara Satib and Migdish Nami, putting back, replacing the bandage, what Tanim Says Machzina Tivim Migdish, you're allowed to put it back. Avalaybin says clearly in the basic Migdish you're allowed to, but nowhere else. Says the Gemara. So what's all the adding that we didn't know before? Says the Gemara. No, I'll tell you what he's adding. I would have thought that time of my. You know why you're allowed to do the basic Migdish? Because Isurin de Rabbanon are not forbidden the basic Migdish. Remember, Gemara Eliva, we learned that most Isurin de Rabbanon are permitted in the basic Migdish unless it's a very severe shivus. But most us, I would have thought, you know why you're allowed to put in the basic English? Because it's a shvus, it's under Rabbanon, we're lenient. And who cares what's the, what's the reason? Because then any coin in the base of English can put back the band-aid. Not only a serving coin. So Mautim, I would have thought, time of my mission, they should make There's no Rabbanon in the English. I feel a coin in the Labar Voidu, even for the day of working. Mashalam, come tell you no. The reason why you're allowed to is because you tiru siphon mishum chilasan. The baravoidu in, the Labar Voidu loy. Since it's a bar avoid, only those kainim that are working in the base of English, we, we allow them, but no one else. Now comes along Rechav and adds another. So first we ask, what's Rechav adding? Opening a barrel, we learn. If somebody opens a barrel, or he starts during Yomtev, you can continue even after Yomtev to sell as if it's Tahir. And the Chacham will say, once Yomtev is over, you can't. But Rabbi Yehuda says you can't, so obviously, because otherwise you are not going to uh, open a barrel. Said so, no, no, no. I thought the reason is, 
I would have thought that the logic of Rabbi is simple, that Amaratzim, when it comes to Yom Tov, they're just like a Tamachach. So therefore, even though Yom Tov is over now, whatever the Amar is touched during Yom Tov is all right. That's why Rabbi says is all right. And who cares? So then, um, that, then even if the barrel, let's say, opened Arab Yom Tov, but no Amar has touched it. And now it comes Chalamoid and Amar touches it. Maybe it's permitted because Amaratzim are considered Tamid Chachami when it comes to Yom Tov. So the Rechava says, no, no, no. The only reason why we, 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 we suspend the Tumil law of Amaratzim is because otherwise you won't open the barrel. But if you already open the barrel before Yom Tov, it doesn't matter. But Afagabdali is Chalami. Kamashla comes to teach you that he tiru saifum shikhilasan. The only reason we allow you after Yamtiv is because we want to make sure that on Yamtiv you open up and you open barrels. He's in. So only if you open it on Yamtiv or Khalamaid, below is khalaid. If you didn't, it doesn't help. Says the Gemara. So you're telling me this fourth Urchava added a fourth thing. So Ula my time Amar. Why didn't um Ula include this? He said three. There's four things actually. That we we even though the end there's no reason for it, but we did it in order to to save the beginning. Says the Gemara, the Plukdalakamai, Ula does not want to, to, to bring up a subject as an argument. And as you just yourself said, there's an argument Rabbi Huda Khachamim. So therefore you didn't want to talk about it. Says the Gemara, what are you talking about? And all the dinner that you talked about is an argument with Bisham Basil. Everything here is an argument. Hanachnami Pluktanin is an argument. Bishamai, same more answers. And this is the most difficult thing to, to understand. But Bishamai bin Mokam Hill. Ain't a Mishnah. I mean, it's so extraordinary. Bishamai, we learned in Mara Ervin that Yagimel there was smarter and sharper than Basil. But Basil was, was, had a rave. And we tell Bishamai, not only is the halacha never like you, except a few exceptions, but more than that, your opinion doesn't count. It doesn't even register as an opinion. I mean, just how extraordinary. But Bishamai, the Basil, ain't a Mishnah. And therefore, Ula had no problem. The discussing laws where Shammai is the one who is the protagonist because he doesn't count. But Rabbi Yehud and the Chachamim, one against many, which we know that the halach is never like the one. The halach is like the many. If he doesn't count, then oh, how come sometimes, if he doesn't count, then how come the halach is sometimes like by Shammai? When we rule that, that's when it counts. Even if it doesn't count, <laughs> even if it doesn't we, we, if you remember the Gemara Shabbos, was like, you remember the Gemara Shabbos that you that, um, that Yudalid, where Shammai, and, and in Ervin, that Yudalid, where Shammai put a sword over there in front of the shul, and, and he counted, and he says, that's it, we're the majority right now, and the law is like us. And we have those 18 rules that, you know, like Shammai. Nice. But even if, um, when we say that it doesn't count, Chas shows me it doesn't count, because if you want to learn Shammai's opinion, you still have to make a birchus atayra. And in fact, it says in Kabbalah that Mashiach will come, the halach is going to be like Shammai. Yeah, yeah. We're going to light Hanukkah candles say, all the way around. Sorry? You often say the phrase No, no, no. Very seldom. You, see, you usually say We just had yet today in the Gemara about, in fact, the Mepharshim want to discuss why are they even discussing Shammai's opinion of the Abayi and all that doesn't really matter. Because generally speaking, we don't really um, I don't know. The honest, the honest, I don't know. Rabbi Yehuda versus the Chachamim, definitely the Allah the Chachamim, one against many. But that opinion is, 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 a, is an opinion. But Shammai against Beis Hill is not a Mishnah. I don't know. Difficult thing to understand what exactly it means and why this is so. Difficult. Anyway, 
We did have a bracha that somebody wants to be machmer like Beishamai or Tarfun and a lion almost ate him up. So you shouldn't have tried to be machmer like Beishamai against Beishil. Anyway, more it further. Um, um, Beishamai Beishil, okay. Masnisin Deloikai Tana. Our mission is understanding of the argument of Shama and Hill is very different than the following Tana. What's that? The Tana of Shemalazah, Moidin Beishamai Everyone agrees. Even Shammai will agree you're allowed to remove the doors in order to encourage these people, merchants, to sell because people need a food for Yamtif. The argument is only once you complete it, will we allow you to return those doors? Shammai says, you can't put it back because it's no longer necessary for Yamtif. Beisil says, you could bring it back because otherwise you won't do it again. Okay, that part is fine, which is different than our Mishnah. Our Mishnah they're arguing on both sides. But now the Braisa continues. Just to understand what's going to go on here, I already could tell you the, the conclusion of the Gemara. But with the doors in those days, the hinges were different than ours. They had like pivots. So you had, it's called a tzir. So the doors, the proper door was, you had a, a piece, like a screw sticking out from the door on top and a screw or a peg from the door on the bottom. There were holes inside the door frame on top and on the bottom in the threshold. And you would, the door would pivot right inside those holes and you would swing back and forth. That's called a tzir. That's a permanent door. That's called tzir. Then you have a door with no tzir. You just uh, hang on a string or something. And then you have the middle case, which I'm telling you the conclusion already, where you have this pivot only in the middle of the door, not at the sides, not at the end of the door, but in the middle you had one. So it's not as permanent as those on the side. And it swings all around. So now the gebrais is as follows. The Brisa says, um, Medvamuri, when do we say this? When do they say that there's an argument? We're assuming now we're talking about those pivots there at the end of the door. So there's an argument if you want to put it back, because putting it back or taking it off is, is, is like building and destroying. There's no real peg over there. Because it's not when you put it back, it just fits in snugly and takes it right out. It's not building. That's one opinion. Says the Gemara of Atani, but another price. It says another price. The whole argument is when there is no uh, peg. There's a pegs on the end. Even Hill says, well, that's building. How can you do that? Removing it, that's destroying. How can you do that? So, how do we understand these two prices? They're contradicting each other. I'm Rabbi, there's no contradiction. There, there's three cases here, and the both prices are talking about different things. This is how you're supposed to learn. If there's a tzir, if there, with the b'risa that says, if there's a tzir, everyone agrees you're not allowed to. But if there's a um, no tzir, they're arguing. Yesh means you have the tzir on the ends, which is which is permanent construction. That's forbidden. They don't have the permanent at the end, but they have in the middle. Sorry, if they have no tzir at all on the sides or the ends, because you're not building at all. You just put a door back in the in the, in that hole there and you, and you remove it. Keep pleading. The whole argument is so you have this pivot right in the middle of the door. Mar one opinion is one opinion, Bishamay says we don't allow you to put the door back, even though it's not really building, because if you have a peg and you allow them, the next time will even when the peg's on the side. Says, like Azinan, we're not going to make that Xera, it's too far fetched, and we allow. That's how we learn. And therefore, the two Bryces, when they talk about Sir, you have to know which Sir they're talking about. Everyone's agreeing the same thing.